tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. There's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, here we are once again to give it the old college try. I don't see any lawnmowers out there. I do apologize yesterday that my neighbor was mowing the lawn. What can I do about it? And uh, by the time I got to describing the difference between papyrus and parchment, I was pretty flustered. But you got the message. Paul was in a difficult place, and um, it was poignant, you know. That the voice in my head just said, "Yeah," and so were you. I certainly was. But and I even misquoted my my deacon friend, Deacon Chick O'Leary, the Colonel of Truth, who uh, the quote he said is, "Yes, Father Simon's show is a an hour of broadcasting untainted by professionalism." That's just me. The producers are all pretty professional. It's just I'm. Let's pray. Enough of this. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, uh, let's open the big book on the coffee table, the Bible, and see what the see what the disaster du jour will be. All right, this we're back to the <clears throat> cycle of readings that we were um, involved in, and um, this first reading is extremely, extremely complicated. Now, once again, let me explain what I think is going on into the letter in the letter to the Romans. Uh, the Jews were exiled from Rome uh, sometime around 50 A.D., 52 A.D., under the Emperor Claudius. Um, <clears throat> we read about it in the Acts of the Apostles, and in, I think, Suetonius talks about it, and other Roman authors, this really happened. And it was, it was about a certain slave named Crestus. Uh, very interesting, because orthography, proper spelling was very fluid in the ancient world, and Christus was a common slave name. Uh, the author, the Roman author, the Roman historian who wrote that would have assumed it was a slave because Christos meant handy or useful. So it was a common slave name. Come here, handy. Uh, that kind of thing. But more probably, it means Christos, which means, it's a Greek word meaning the anointed one. And of course, the Christian and Jewish communities in Rome would have spoken Greek much more than they would have spoken Latin. So, we got Christos, 
and uh, the Jews are expelled from Rome, and we read about Saints Priscilla and Aquila going to Corinth where they meet Paul, with whom they appear to have had uh, much in common in terms of what they did for a living. Remember, Paul uh, uh, worked, he was a tent maker and a leather worker, apparently, did those kinds of things. Um, he, Paul was probably from a rather wealthy family. This is another harebrained theory I have about Paul. Paul seems to have been from a wealthy family. They were, they were, had been probably Roman slaves captured by Pompeii, or Jews enslaved by Romans during the times of Pompeii, but they were quickly freed and given Roman citizenship and Roman names. Uh, they were probably sharp people. And, uh, uh, Paul grew up in a Greek-speaking city. He spoke, I'm sure, his Greek was as, very, as good as his, as his Aramaic and or his Hebrew, and he probably knew some Latin. He was born into Roman citizenship, which was really something at that time. So Paul, I would venture, came from, he came from money. <clears throat> so what's he doing working for in a trade? He was studying with Gamaliel, according to Scripture. And the rabbi said, he who does not teach his son a trade teaches him to steal. So rabbis were technically not paid. People would give them gifts, but they weren't paid. Uh, so rabbis didn't have to work for a living, but they still had to learn a trade. And I wonder if St. Paul didn't have to use his trade because he teamed up with these crazy uh, followers of Jesus and uh, must have cut into his rabbinical income uh, uh, so he worked for a living, and he met Priscilla and Aquila, who had been exiled by the Emperor Claudius. Now, when the Emperor Claudius died, I want to say 54 AD. Um, I think that's about the time, but uh, matters not. Uh, Nero was emperor, and his girlfriend, uh, Papea Sabina, was a sympathizer of the Jews. Um, and uh, so the Jews could start trickling back into Rome. And I maintain that the letter to the Romans is a contribution to the situation by St. Paul. He's kibitzing, uh, which is a, a Yiddish word meaning to kibitz. He's, he's kind of, let me, let me point some things. I've never been to Rome, but let me, I have some suggestions how non-Jewish converts to the faith could get along with Jews who were in the faith. Because clearly that's why they've been thrown out of Rome. So the letter to the Romans, I think, is well named and can be considered one of the foundational, if not the foundational document of the Roman church. Uh, so many people think it's it's kind of a Protestant letter. Paul was the Protestant. Peter was the Catholic. On the contrary, Paul, after Christ, is the one who establishes a universal, a Catholic church. And I think that's what this letter is about. Uh, that how can you be uh, a follower of Jesus without following the law of Moses? And he's pointing out that that the law of Moses does not justify anyone. Now, well, it doesn't save anyone. No, it doesn't justify anyone. There's a difference between salvation and justification. I maintain, and I may be wrong, but this is what I maintain, that the the Hebrew concept of justice is very different from the Greco-Roman concept of justice. That for, for, for our legal tradition, which comes, uh, much of ours comes from English common law, but, but our sense of justice, I think, is, is related to the Greco-Roman sense of justice. It is 
an equality before the law. It is, uh, it is uh, similar to fairness. You know, you'll get yours and I'll get mine. Boy, will you get yours if I have a good lawyer. It's forensic. In other words, it has to do with legalities. Whereas in the Jewish understanding, the, the Hebrew understanding of justification, it involves things like generosity Justice, it's about right relationship to God and to our fellow human being. And this involves generosity. This involves kindness. This involves truth. In short, to be justified is to be made to look like God. A tzaddik, a just man in Hebrew, is one whose deeds, uh, whose good deeds outweigh his bad deeds. That's a tzaddik, a person of good deeds. Uh, a person concerned for the well-being of others. If a Jew ever calls you a tzaddik, this is a compliment, a great compliment. So it's very hard for us to think of this letter to the Romans in Jewish context. Paul is trying to talk about how Jews and non-Jews can get along. And remember, non-Jews or Jews were about 10% of the Roman Empire. They were a much more significant segment of the population than even than they are now. And they're quite significant culturally in our in our world, but but uh, they were ten percent of the people, and they were they were constantly at loggerheads with the Roman government. This is oh, this is another aside. They they had a soft spot for the Persians, the Iranians, uh, the Jews did, because the Persians had freed them from exile in Babylon. The Persians had helped them rebuild the temple, helped them rebuild Jerusalem, had helped fund it. The Persians were essentially monotheists, increasingly. They were Zoroastrians, who, who Zoroaster, the prophet Zarathustra, or Zoroaster as we call him, uh, probably lived around, mm, the best guesstimates are 500 BC, give or take. Uh, there's no real evidence, but uh, that's the guess. But he taught that there was a battle between light and darkness, good and evil. There was the god of of goodness, Ahura Mazda, and then the evil god, Nariman. But essentially, it was a monotheism, that there was one true and good god, Ahura Mazda. And so the monotheism of the of the Persians and the monotheism of the Jews went together very well. And there was always this suspicion that the Jews were pro-Persian and the Persians were the great enemies of Rome. Uh, um, they were at war with each other for, for centuries and centuries, on and off. So the Jews were always a little suspected, and they were right on that imperial border between the eastern world of the Persians and the western world of the Greeks. So this is a real tense political, social, religious situation. And Paul is, is saying... Uh, there's a way that we can get along. If one person's transgression, the many died, how much more did the grace of God uh, and the gracious gift of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow for the many? He's reminding us of the sin of Adam, that, that we are removed from the justice of God by the sin of Adam. And Adam is the father of humanity, not just of the Jews, not just of the Israelites. Israelites. So understand in that context for if by the transgression, and this word is paraptomata, which comes from a word parapipto. That's quite a word, parapipto. It means to 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 fall afoul. It means a transgression. It means to fall away from. But 
the idea, I think, is to cross a boundary which alienates you from God. Hamartia, which is the general word for sin, is is um, uh, just the condition of failure in which we live. That's what hamartia means, to miss the target. Uh, but uh, paraptomata, it's often translated, tra- well, transgression, which means to cross a border, to cross a boundary. Adam disobeyed something God had asked him to do. It was a willful thing. You know, when Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of death? He uses the word hamartia when he talks about sin. But this is, yeah, I did it. I did it. That's a transgression. That's how I read it. Well, Jesus willingly went to death for all of humanity, just as Adam willingly sinned against what God had asked him to do. So... You get people who read, well, uh, universal salvation, because the text here says, justice through the disobedience of one man, many were made sinners, so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Um, In other words, everybody gets saved, and that's simply not true. You look at the context of Scripture. But uh, I, I didn't pull this up, but I want to. I'm quite sure. This idea of the many, I think this is an important, important biblical idea. Let me pull this up. I want to make sure I'm not just making this up. Okay. All right. For just, okay, click and then click again. I'm sure it's polois. Uh, yeah, poloi, hoi poloi. <laughs> what is that? Have you ever heard of the hoi poloi? It means the unwashed mob. I remember, uh, well, we all do because it was fairly recent when uh, the words of the consecration of the cup the chalice were, were uh, this is the covenant of my uh, the new covenant my blood which will be poured out for for you and for all they changed it from all to many and people were horrified well that's exclusive and doesn't god love everybody they didn't understand what the word many means in ancient greece you had a government by the one it was a tyranny or a monarchy then you had the government by the government by the few which is called an oligarchy or perhaps aristocracy that's government by the by the best and then you had the democracy which is the government by the poloi the many the unwashed mob and what when jesus says this is this is my blood which will be poured out for the many and that's what the text says in Greek. He isn't saying that this is to be poured out for special people or the the chosen, frozen, or the elect. It's for the many, the unimportant. And so that's what Paul is saying here. That that his his uh, uh, through the obedience of one, the many will be made righteous. Now contrast the 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 many with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were not the many. They were, remember the prayer of the, of the tax collector and the Pharisee, Oh Lord, I thank you that I am not like these, and so on. Uh, the tax collector said, No, I am like one of these. So that's the idea here. Paul is saying that, that in Adam all have died, not just Israelites, but in Jesus all can be made alive. And he says at one point, for those who receive uh, the abundance of grace, and the gift of justification. It is that isn't uh, charisma. That's a different word. This is, I think, this is the word doron. Uh, it's a gift. It's just something God gives you. He offers you, and you can receive it. So I think that's very, very important. All right. Um, speaking of the many, I think it is time 
to go to mass hysteria. Dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. There is only one river. There is only one sea. And it flows through you. And it flows through me. For this, we gave up Gregorian chant. Oy. Well, <laughs> the... Uh, that's an appropriate song to play, dear voice mate, considering this is the discussion of through the one person's transgression. Uh, where was I? Yes, yesterday we... <laughs> Smart, he didn't even know it. Brilliant. The, uh... uh the, uh... Dear voice in my head? I don't know if... Was that live when you when you said Smart and he didn't even know it? Oh, the, the voice in my head said Smart and didn't even know it. He is smart very smart and that's if if my producer was not smart the whole thing would have gone off the rails a while ago where was i yeah so i talked about uh the the horror and i had uh uh nick play uh a segment of of um uh the screw tape letters as read by john cleese which is easy to find on youtube it's uh it's 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 a masterpiece and if you hear it uh um read by John Cleese ever after you will hear the voice of the devil no offense to anyone as that of an English bureaucrat so that'll appeal to the Irish I think but uh the the uh he talks about the horror we we read in the passage uh, that that we shared from uh screw tape letters and again screw tape letters is a correspondence between two demons on how to get your man and an older demon, uh, the undersecretary for the Department of Temptations, and his nephew, a junior tempter, uh, and uh, it's it's profound. I, I mentioned this yesterday that that uh, an exorcist friend of mine says he does not know where C.S. Lewis got this stuff, but it is on spot. And I really do think people can develop this morbid, morbid interest in things like exorcism and all that. Don't do it. Uh, live live in the light. Uh, uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, as Nick just said, morbid in the truest sense of the word. It's 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 leads to death. So uh, um, you don't want to do that. The best, absolute best book on the nature of the devil and of evil <laughs> is, I think, the Screw Tape Letters, and it's funny. It is not frightening. It is. It won't drag you into the deep end of that strange pool. Uh, it. It. Um, I remember reading a book on exorcism. I had to put it down after a couple pages because it was just too um, frightening. This is. It's not frightening. So I recommend, as I always do, uh, screw tape letters. But listen to it as read by John Cleese of Monty Python, which you can find on YouTube easily. Now, all that said, in this letter, chapter twenty-five. Uh, Screwtape suggests to Wormwood, his nephew, that you inspire in him that fear of the same old thing. And it, it is the, the, the trick through which the devil has done some of his best work. And it has infected the church. That, that you know, you can see these things on, on YouTube also of people dancing about in giant paper mache clown heads or uh, liturgical dancers who are usually older people who probably shouldn't be wearing leotards. They're not very flattering, dancing about with bean pots full of burning in incense. I mean, it, it just has become ridiculous. Uh, well, you don't want Mass just to be the same old thing. Yes, you do. Because Mass 
is both new and old. And, and in, in that chapter 25, letter 25, the screw tape letters, uh, um, C.S. Lewis goes into it that human beings are people who live in time who are destined for eternity, which means timelessness. So absolute unchanging permanence is important to us, whereas because we live in time, we can only experience it in the midst of change. And the answer that the church and the Lord, the Holy Spirit through the church gives is the liturgical calendar. We don't talk about the liturgical calendar anymore. When I was a boy and the woolly mammoth still roamed, the liturgical calendar was a succession of feasts and of fasts, of, of prayer, of penance, of, of processions, of joy, beautiful processions. And uh, in the Sacrosanctum Concilium, uh, there is a, a, a verse which says that the Holy, the Holy Eucharist, the liturgy of the Eucharist, though the source and summit of our life does not exhaust the riches of the church, that through other liturgies, other practices, we prepare for it. And this, this is, this is something amazing that, that we completely forgot that truth. That Mass is not the only thing that Catholics do. It is the most important and the highest thing, but it does not stand alone. Do you remember Corpus Christi? Oh, beautiful. The procession uh, with the Blessed Sacrament was always on a Thursday. Now we do it on a Sunday because it's, uh, you know, it's more convenient. We, you know, the Feast of the Ascension, we put it on a Sunday because it's more convenient. Uh I remember Cardinal George saying that may not have been the wisest thing they did at the council, uh, or or not in not in the council, but the liturgical movement to to move the feasts around. Feasts are not supposed to be easy. You're supposed to be able to say to your boss, "I can't come to work because well, it's Corpus Christi." <laughs> well, and you're going to get fired. Well, guess what? You know, it's fascinating to me. The Jews, even not observant Jews, reformed Jews, many of them take. Uh, the holy days, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, very seriously. And they will fast, uh, a radical fast on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And if you say to a Jew, well, you, if you don't come to work on Yom Kippur, you're going to get fired, say, well, fire me. I have great admiration for that. But, you know, that might not be possible for you. But but to to celebrate feasts in an inconvenient way, these were high points in our life, that there were the ember days. Four times a year you fasted for the well-being of nature and the world. And we're talking about that all the time. That's that's not new. Uh, we, we prayed for the planting. We prayed for the harvest. Uh, we we outfasted the Muslims easily when I was a kid. Um, every Friday was a day of fasting. Uh, every Friday was Good Friday, and every Sunday was Easter. We had this calendar. We had St. Nicholas Day. We had the Patronal Feast of the Parish. We had, uh, and then there was the 40 Hours Devotion. Nobody has 40 Hours Devotion anymore because we have perpetual adoration. It's very convenient. Uh, and somehow it has taken the place of 40 Hours. We had this cycle of things that brought you into the life of the church, the life of the parish. And they were feasts. They were fasts. There was rejoicing. There was repenting. And it was something that was new every year and something that was eternal and old. So, the horror of the same old thing is not is not to be uh, 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 remedied <laughs> with bigger and bigger shocks and surprises. It's to be remedied by an important part of our spiritual life as Catholics that we have forgotten, the liturgical calendar. Oh, 
I hear music in my head. There are lots of things in my head. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. We shall return, I hope. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let His praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of Amen. Amen. Welcome back to the Reverend Know-It-All Fire Baptized Holiness Gospel Hour. <laughs> uh, standing on the promises of God. I love that song. All right. Let us go to letters. Um, um, I got a letter from Father Mike. I got a question. I think it was a call in. Uh, yeah, it was a caller. Um, this was uh, about a week ago. Uh, and this caller asked about bishops and priests who worked with the certain politicians to get abortion approved. He was partly right. Uh, while John Kennedy was running uh, a group of, of priests, including Charles Kern, uh, who was a theologian very popular in my youth, met at the Kennedy compound in Massachusetts with the primary objective of making it okay for the Kennedys to openly support abortion. No Catholic bishops were ever involved in that fiasco. It was strictly the top, well, I might as well mention it, Jesuit names of the day. Uh, the Jesuits did concoct a theory. The, these, uh, these, um, you know, not all Jesuits. I know Father Mitch Pacwa, who makes, he's, I know a lot of Jesuits who are, not theologically left, but there was there was a group uh, like Curran, uh, who uh, and very left. I think uh, Fuchs, who was a great theologian, was was a German theologian. I think he might have been, but uh, I'm I digress. These were just let's call them liberal theologians. The liberal theologians did concoct a theory which made abortion acceptable. Now, very interestingly and more discreetly, we read uh, an article by Patrick Madrid, our own Patrick Madrid, which was published in uh, 2009, August 26, uh, called Sons of Perdition. Uh, you can find it on the web. And he talks very clearly about this. So, yes, that there were priests who, who introduced uh, a sort of pharisaical uh, walk around abortion is evil and forbidden but well you can't really legislate that so um uh very interesting and i recommend that article by patrick madrid he's he's i think of patrick as much more informed about these things than than i am he's i think he's a better theologian so um uh it, it's it's a very good article. Once again, Sons of Perdition, How Certain Catholic Priests Turned the Kennedys Pro-Abortion by Patrick Madrid. Now, that's as political as I want to get. All right. Uh, moving along here. Where did I put my letters? Uh, so thanks, Father Mike. That was a very, very informative thing. Uh, now, okay. Uh, this is uh, very interesting about Paul's opinion. Uh, we read in 1 Corinthians 7, 12 and 7, 25, Paul prefaces his statements with a disclaimer to the effect of this is just my own opinion. <laughs> very interesting. 
those really are in there. Let me let me pull that up. Uh, uh, Romans seven twenty five. Wait, wait, did I get that right? Let me, let me. I'm sure I did. Corinthians, rather, First Corinthians seven twelve and seven twenty five. Let me pull that up. Okay, once again, great radio. All right, there we go. The computer is 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 working. Uh, I hope. Okay. Uh, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 7.25. Brothers, each one should remain in the situation he was in when God called him. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is, is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think it good for man to remain as he is. Paul, as far as we know, had never been married. And um, he's recommending the same thing. In verse 27, he says, Are you committed to a wife? Don't seek to be released. Are you free of commitment? Don't look for a wife. Uh, um, uh, and and uh, if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned. But those who marry will face troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. This is Paul's opinion. Well, is that that's in the Bible, so it must be the Holy Spirit. <sighs> This this verse and 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 the verse preceding at seven twelve, I think remind us that that the Bible is a very incarnate book. Uh, uh, what does it mean by incarnate? It's in flesh. That the Bible is not God speaking as much as the conversation between humanity and God. Of course, God speaks in the Bible. Uh, the, the Bible, I say, you got to read the Bible to to learn the vocabulary of the Holy Spirit. Uh, St. Jerome says, ignorance of scriptures, ignorance of Christ. But it's a very human book as well as a very divine book. Uh, so many people, now another great monotheistic religion in its, its core scripture, uh, says, uh, oh, I'm being polite. In the Quran, it is believed by Orthodox Muslims that that is God speaking. And that's, that's it. There's no humanity in it. Uh, it cannot be interpreted. It cannot be changed. Whereas we believe that to understand scripture, you really have to have the wisdom of the church and the context uh, in which it was written. That's one of the reasons that God gave us uh, a church uh, to, to say, no, that's not what God meant by this. You see, we have a continuous uh, relationship in literature. There's Christian literature, which uh, was written possibly the same time as scripture, like the Didache, uh, the teaching of the 12 apostles. And there's a continuous tradition of literature and a continuous tradition of interpretation. We have the fathers of the church. So when Jesus said, better for you to enter uh, uh, heaven, uh, uh, without one hand than to enter uh, into the fires of Gehenna with two hands. Well, some people in history have said, then I should cut my hand off because my hand causes me to sin. No, your hand doesn't cause you to sin. It's your heart that causes you to sin. And you need a heart transplant, a heart of flesh, a heart according to the heart of God to take out your stony heart, Scripture says elsewhere. The church has never taught that you have to maim yourself. In fact, you're not allowed to maim yourself. Uh, um, we don't do that. Um, this this 
idea that that scripture is human and divine is very hard for most people to to grasp they want one or the other and it isn't one or the other scripture is a is a 2000 year conversation between uh, god and humanity beginning uh with abraham uh, going up to to uh uh the end of the acts of the apostles and you have to know its context so yeah, St. Paul is saying he doesn't think it's wrong if you get married. Well, you shouldn't marry if you're a Christian. St. Paul says, no, it's not. He says elsewhere there will come a time when they, people will come around forbidding marriage. And, and uh, people often like to say, well, that's celibacy. No, it's, it's, you have to choose to serve the, the bride of Christ or your own bride in this context uh, in, in the Western Church. But that's a different section of Scripture. So I think very, very importantly... Um, Yes, <laughs> to that answer, that uh, uh, the Holy Spirit is woven through this, but St. Paul is saying, this is my opinion, and it's a good opinion, you know, that, that, that it's our desire to obey God that really matters in this context. So I think that's important. Let me do one, one more. Uh, uh, oh, good grief. <sighs> One more letter. There's a woman who wrote a very beautiful letter asking me, don't pick on come dance in the forest, come play in the field. I paraphrase, come dance in the forest, come bump into trees. Uh, one of her kids had a, a stroke in his youth, and uh, that song really spoke to her. Uh, and and uh, um, uh, she, she heard uh, come dance in the forest, come play in the field, and this was a word confirmed... Uh, um, for her, and um, she's asked us to pray for him. And, and we said, so, Lord, while we got you on the line, please bless this young man and continue his healing. Uh, um, and and I'd also, Lord, I'd also ask you, I, I'd ask all of you to pray for something. I, I should have thought of it earlier. There are a couple, uh, I can't even explain the situation, but there are a couple of young girls um, who are in terrible trouble. Um, uh, domestic trouble and I, I would ask you to pray for them um, I can't tell you more than that it would be indiscreet but back to the letter thank you Lord back to the letter come dance in the forest come play in the field it's a lovely song it's not classical it's not going to be around in 10 years to speak of except among people who are very very old um, and I don't think it's appropriate uh, for the body of mass. Understand what the X I'm grinding here. I have no problem with hymns in the proper place. I, I mentioned all these other ceremonies earlier um, about, you know, Corpus Christi and processions. That's where hymns are supposed to be sung. In the Liturgy of the Hours, hymns are supposed to be sung. And I would say before mass uh, when when you have your procession coming up the aisle sing a hymn when there's a recession recessional sing sing your hearts out um and traditionally there's always been a place for for polyphony in the offertory and at communion but but learn gregorian chant and sing the parts of the mass sing the introit that's where mass begins before mass begins sing your heart out but then when you get the Mass of the introit, sing the introit, then sing the psalm response, then sing the Alleluia, then sing an, uh, an offertory verse, um, then sing the communion verse, sing the holy, holy, the glory of the creed. 
sing the mass. Don't sing hymns at mass. You can sing hymns before and after, and ah, after communion is not a bad spot. Hymns have their place, but the point I'm trying to make is that that so many hymns, uh, we they might speak to me personally, but they're not the voice of the Holy Spirit, which we get in Scripture. So, eh, I certainly am grinding that axe for a long time, and I'm going to keep grinding it for a little while, because I think it's a very important axe. All right, let's go to a break. We'll come back with a word of the day, and uh, then we'll take phone calls at 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Oh, the walls came tumbling down. That would be nice. All right, let us go to phone call. Oh, no, the word of the day. Let's go to the word of the day. Oh, and before we do the word of the day, since I'm in there, I want to remind you that All Souls Day is coming up. And, you know, there's a big, should we celebrate Halloween or not? Halloween, if it is celebrated as a child's festival, uh, whistling past the graveyard, I would not, I would not recommend you allow your children to dress in something that is clearly demonic or violent. Uh, but saints and superheroes, fine. Remember, for, forbidden fruit is sweetest, so you don't want to get your kid fascinated with that stuff. Um, but, uh, all, all Souls Day and All Saints Day, uh, and Halloween, the eve of All Hallows, it's, it's a, it was a celebration of, of the, the victory of life over death. It's part of the calendar. And, and it's something that we have forgotten. November is the month when we remember the holy souls, the souls in purgatory. And you know, if this Catholic idea of praying for the dead is real, which I think it is, purgatory these days is a very hungry place because we don't do it anymore. And we should. I would ask you to pray especially for priests who have helped you in the past. There's a saying, no one is so dead as a dead priest. He has no children to remember him in prayer. Well, now there's a lot of people who are that dead because... No one remembers them in prayer. That's not us at Relevant Radio. So join us November 2nd through the 10th as we pray a novena for departed loved ones daily during Mass, the Chaplain Family Rosary. And you can submit the names of all your deceased friends and family today at relevantradio.com slash souls. This is an important part of our faith. It's part of our calendar. And and uh, the celebration of Halloween and All Souls Day um, and All Saints Day, this is our celebration of the triumph of life over death. Again, I would not, I would not encourage children to dress in anything demonic or violent. Superheroes and saints couldn't hurt. All right, uh, let's go to uh, the word of the. We oh, we already had the gong, so I'll just jump into the word of the day. Uh, the word of the day. Oh, there's the gong again. The good old gong gets me going. Blessed are those servants, and of course, the word servant here is slave. Uh, um, 
Uh, gird your loins and light your lamps. Well, I mentioned loins and put your belt on. Because, you see, when you worked in the fields, you had these loose-flowing robes. What you do is you'd put your belt on and you'd tuck the corners of your garment into the belt. And the belt was usually nothing more than an ancient Roman rope. But uh, uh, So put your belt on. Get ready for work. Uh, uh, that's what it means. When you're told to gird your loins, it means put your belt around your waist and uh, and tuck your, your free-flowing garments in so they don't get in the way and get to work. Uh, be like... Now, this in this, I, if I recall, this word isn't be like servants. It's be like men who await their master's return from a wedding. Further on, he says, blessed are those slaves when the master finds vigilant. And the word of the day is vigilant. And what it means is is uh, someone who stays awake during the night. Now, I, I, I encourage you to get eight hours of sleep. It's good and healthy. However, the word in Greek is is uh, is, is stay awake. Don't don't fall asleep. Uh, uh, let me see. What's I have the word here? Uh, he shall return with a wedding feast. Okay, and having knocked, they might open to. I gotta press another button, and of course the computer. Ah, there, the computer's cooperating. Okay, well, no, it's not. It's the word to stay awake, and so stay awake, um, which is very interesting. I think in 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 the context of our spiritual lives because the word transgression means to fall to the side and to to stay awake in this context uh i think it's a very very powerful kind of word that we don't fall to the side um we stay awake we 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 stay in that relationship uh that's a blessing from the lord so stay awake e- even during long, boring disquisitions about Greek verbs. All right, let's go to uh, phone calls. The phone is ringing. Who have we got on the phone? Dear voice in my head. Maria from Nevada. Yes. Maria, are you there? Yes. Ah, good. What can I do yes, for I'm, you? I'm Father, I have a question. I, w- I would like to, to know what's the... Um, uh, if, if there is a difference between between uh, um, soul and spirit, that's a tough one. <laughs> I have puzzled over this for years, and I've come up with what I think it means because clearly Saint Paul talks about spirit, uh, body, soul, and spirit, whereas Saint Thomas Aquinas seems to equate soul and spirit and this i think is what's going on spirit uh, in greek and in latin means breath a living breathing being uh so i'm a living breathing being i am a spirit who has an immortal soul and a mortal body now i think saint thomas when you read saint thomas and later authors you tend to think that they're just talking about uh body and soul because the spirit is immortal and the soul is immortal. So in a sense, they can be more closely identified. But I am a spirit who lives in a soul and lives in a body. My body is mortal. My soul is not mortal. It's a little complicated. That I, have, I live in two worlds. You know, to be like I'm a person who can breathe air and breathe water through uh, uh, through through gills like some hideous monster, uh, but I can live in both worlds, the spiritual and the material, because I have the vehicle of of 
uh, of the spiritual world, which is my soul, and I have the vehicle of the of the material world, which is my body. So this spirit, who I am, has an eternal, uh, an immortal soul, and a mortal body. So uh, I think that's what's going on: that the soul and the spirit are both immortal; they don't die, and hence they are more closely identified. But I am a spirit who is in a soul and in a body. Does that help a little? Yes, they help a lot. Thank you so much. Yes. Well, thanks. That's the way I look at it. Now, I may be wrong, but I've really puzzled over it for years, and I think that that probably is what's going on in St. Paul. I am a spirit who is also a soul, who is also a body. My body really is me, and my soul really is me. But in essence, I am a breathing person. So, well, thanks for calling, Marie, and thanks for listening. Who have we got on the line? Robert from Green Bay. Are you with us, Robert? Yes, Father Simon. Thank you for taking my call. I, my Glad, question what can I do for you? Is, sure. Um, my question is, what is the history of the introductory and the communion antiphons? And a side question, why aren't they used much anymore? Well, a side question, because they aren't used much anymore, was because we went, we wanted to imitate the Protestants and sing nice hymns. That's my suspicion in the 1960s. But the origin of them is the temple. You know, that, 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 uh, uh, Jews that I have spoken to say they don't chant, but they did sing the Psalms according to Psalm tones, which are a form of chant. And the early Christians did not say, oh, we're Christians now, we have to sing music by the St. Louis Jesuits. They didn't say that. They just kept singing the songs that they had always sung. They didn't think, that, well, we're not Jews anymore. No, we're, we're, we're Israelites, and, and we have the Messiah. So they just continued singing the Psalms. And Psalms accompanied uh, the, the worship of the Jews in the temple, especially the morning and evening sacrifice. They would chant, the, they would sing the psalms. They were songs. And uh, that's the origin of them. So when you sing uh, the different psalms that are attached to the liturgy, you're actually doing something, a custom that goes back all the way to the temple. And, and uh, uh, music accompanied uh, temple rituals. So does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Thank you, Father. Thank you. There you go. Yeah, and I, that's one of the reasons it's important. It unites us to the the Catholicism, the universality of the Church. We we aren't just a church for today. We're a church for today, yesterday, and tomorrow, because God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Who do we have on the line, dear voice in my head? Mark from Santa Monica. Are you with us, Mark? I am. Thanks, Father Simon. I have a question. Do you know if there is a patron saint, perhaps a couple... For couple for married couples who are separated, and who, and the oh, prayer is for grief. reconciliation, obviously. <laughs> you know who I would pray uh, uh, pray to. Um, you know, gosh, I have a little book here. That's uh, let me see if I can find that little book. But I would, I would uh, ask the okay. intercession of Saint Monica because things were rough between her and her <laughs> husband. He was a pagan. And she was not. So mm-hmm. they, they, things were rough. I don't think they divorced. Let me let me see. Uh, patron saints okay. on personal problems. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. 
Um, let's see. Oh, dear. I can't find a saint. I'll have well, to look that up. Well, that oh, wait, wait. Yes, yes. Yeah, I found one. I found one. St. Marcel okay, of Paris. Oh, no, wait, wait. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, St. Marcel <laughs> of Paris, I think. Okay. Why not? Uh, yeah, the communion of saints is a nice thing. Let me look up St. Marcel. Uh, if I'm reading it properly, he's also invoked against vampires, but I don't know that we have to worry about <laughs> that in this situation. So you're going through a thing, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, Father. No? Yeah. Good. We've been married oh, yes. for decades. Oh, we have wow. a lot of children and grandchildren, so I, I ask you and the listeners for your prayers. Oh, I will certainly be praying for you. That's I always Thank say um, one should prefer a, a serious disease to a divorce there. So, so no, that's no, Marcel is only invoked against vampires. <laughs> Who was it? Someone else. No, the, well, you can in, invoke. I, I think, you know, St. Monica, I think, is actually a very good good um, saint to invoke on those things because her family situation was, was not an easy one. And um, it worked okay. out for the good of all humanity. So there you go. And I will be praying for you. Lord, while we got you on the line, please... If you can work reconciliation, please, please do, and and bless our brother. In Jesus' name, we pray. All right, I'll be praying Amen. for you. Thank so. you, Father Simon. Yeah, tough, tough patch. All right, God bless you. Let's. We. I think we can fit in another call or two. Who have we got on the line? Paul from Downers Grove. What can I do for you, Paul? Hi, Father Simon. My question is: um, What is the doctrinal basis? of natural family planning. Oh, I can give you the biblical one. Uh, the, 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 the doctrinal, well, the biblical one is uh, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Uh, that, that, that marriage as God conceives it uh, is clearly about children. I mean, that's what the equipment is for. Uh, um, but, uh, I would say theologically and spiritually, it's about grace. You know that that grace, uh, grace is what's given; sin is what's taken. That that to uh, accept children lovingly, you know, that's what we say in the marriage ceremony: to accept children lovingly from God and to raise them according to Christ, the law of Christ in His Church. That if this is what God gives, then why shouldn't I take it? Uh, you know, I, you're talking to someone who's the youngest of seven, and I'm the one who bought my mother's groceries when she was old. You know, that, that it was very brave of her to have me. She was in her old age when I happened. Um, you know, she was well, old age back then. She was in her mid-40s, and it was a real, a real scare. And I was a month late. This was really stressful. But they were brave enough to give me life. And so it, it, it's, 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 it's an acceptance of grace. Grace is what's given, sin is what's taken. And when I say, no, I'm not going to receive this from God, well, you know, that's that's a real, um, it's very contrary to the idea of, of, of grace. So, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, for this a man leaves his mother and father to become one flesh. Where do you become one flesh? In your children. And speaking of grace, a great gift to the world is coming up. Drew Mariani. So don't go anywhere. <laughs> 